0: Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hey, welcome, Becca. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good. Um, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today.
1: I'm excited to. Really thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. And I, I remember,
0: I know I had reached out to you, gosh, it was probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago when I was at A A N E, and I was asking for keynote speakers. Do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I was like, oh, I'm going to just try to call her and see if she'd say yes. And then only to find out you had already had connections with a and AHA New York, which is a New York now. Yep. Um, and so it felt like it was like everything kind of felt into place. So I was so absolutely, excited. yeah, that was that was go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, it's just it's the way that it all works. I feel like the way that our community works it, it, it's big but small,
0: right? <laughs> it's true, very, very true. Uh, so I'm really happy to be able to work with you again. Me too. And so I know you and I have some background together, but our audience, um, I think, would like to know a little bit more about you. So
1: could you give us a little bit of background? Sure. Um, I am a uh, no, autism and neurodiversity consultant. I'm also a public speaker, an autism advocate, uh, and a mentor and author. So I do a lot of different things, but they all revolve around autism and neurodiversity. Um, I am 44 now. I was diagnosed autistic at 36, eight years ago, um, and autism saved my life.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I like how you say that. (laughs) Um, So, so how did you come about getting diagnosed, especially at 36?
1: Uh, It was not an easy road. Um, You know, for the, it's not like autism wasn't around before the 36 years. Um, So for, it was certainly was, it was just being given other labels and that was part of the problem. So for my first 36 years on the planet, um, I had received tons and tons of um, mislabels, right? Different mental health diagnoses that weren't correct. I'd been mismedicated for those mental health diagnoses. Um, And I'd always had just kind of struggles through everything. And um, my mom had been dealing with it for a very long time. And so it was just like the big it in our life. It was like, what is this thing that is just constantly a menace in our lives? Right. Um, And we couldn't figure it out. So I just kind of went about living my life. Well, You know, I got into adulthood, I did very well in college, Um, and then I got into law school and I just hated it. And so I left very early and I went out into the workforce and what happened is what happens to many autistic adults is that I did um, a series of jobs for lots of short periods of time. So I did 13 jobs in 15 years, um, an assortment of like from commercial construction to being an executive assistant to being a vet tech. Um, all of those things. And I mastered the jobs themselves, but after about three months on the job, when I had really kind of mastered everything I needed to know to do my job well, the social stuff would raise its ugly head and I would be uncomfortable and it would go wrong and I would either quit or get fired. Um, So I never had any sustained employment. I just had these little blips. So I would work for three months and then I would need some time to rest and look for another job and then I'd go back and do it again. Um, And that was sort of the cycle in my life. Um, And at about 33 years old, I was on that last job, that 13th job. Um, I had moved from being a bartender in Manhattan to being sort of a bar manager and a bartender at um, a restaurant bar closer to my home so that I didn't have to travel as far for work. Um, and I was on the job for about a month, and I was like an assistant manager, so there was somebody right above me. And it was a, a man, and I felt really annoyed because I kept getting all of the weekend nights to have to close. So on Fridays and Saturday nights, I was having to, to close, you know, to like 4 a.m. or whatever. And it wasn't the having to close part, but that on the weekends, um, get some people who have drank too much. And it's a little more difficult as a five foot tall woman to get them out than if you're a man. So what I was asking for was, could we like share the weekend night? So I don't have to deal with that two nights in a row. Um, And he just was like, no, I'm the manager and I want my weekend off. And his boss supported him. And I just, during that conversation, as I realized that they weren't going to accommodate me, I heard my brain crack. That's the way that I describe it. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, But I just, at that moment, like a switch went off and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm just done trying. So I just walked out of there, went home back to the bed where I grew up in the bedroom that I grew up in. And I crawled into bed. Um, and I just told my mom, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what it is, but I'm tired of doing 150% only to be the bad guy in every situation. Um, so I give up and that was it. So for three years from 33 to 36, I laid in that bed. I stayed in that house. I, um, isolated entirely. I, no cell phone, no friends, um, no computer time, nothing, just TV, sleeping, reading. Um, occasionally I would do errands with my mom to help with my grandmom, stuff like that, but really wasn't leaving the house. Um, somewhere at about right before my 36th birthday, I, um, my migraines changed. And so I'd had migraines my whole life since I was about nine years old. And having MRIs every year. And they always said, if your migraines change, you need to pay attention. So I did. I paid attention and I started to, to journal because I was having a smell that nobody else could smell. And that isn't something that was foreign to me. I often had sensory experiences that were other people weren't having, um, but I started to worry about what it meant. So I started to do what any good isolated human being does. And I went on WebMD (laughs) and looked up my symptoms, right? Right. Oh, well, it could be an uh, olfactory hallucination. It could be a pituitary tumor. It could be all of these things, right? Um, And I wasn't getting what I was looking for. So I said, well, I have to go to the best source I know then. Wikipedia it is. And I (laughs) head over to Wikipedia, start looking up my symptoms and getting similar results. And then all of a sudden at the bottom of, one article, as I'm in that you, the Wikipedia vortex, uh, it says sensory processing disorder, and I read that one and I thought, "Well, this is oddly familiar, like uncomfortably familiar." Um, right. And at the bottom of sensory processing disorder was Asperger syndrome. I'd mm-hmm. never heard of it. Um, when we talked about autism when I was growing up, um, we meant a very specific thing—a um, group in the '80s, and so kids that were autistic or uh, the R word, right? That's what we called them. Mm-hmm. Um, were bussed off to different schools, you didn't share a building with them, you didn't share bathrooms with them, right? We all worried about the cooties and things like that. Um, and so thinking of myself as being autistic was like so misaligned with how I saw myself. I didn't get it. But when I read about Asperger's syndrome, it was like reading my own biography. Creepy, gave me goosebumps, made me feel like I was on a roller coaster the whole nine. Um, and so I took that link, I sent it to my mom in an email. I didn't want to bias her opinion, so I didn't tell her much. Um, we did the three days for her to check her email. Um, and then she came back to me and said, well, you found it. Um, Mm -hmm. where do you want to go to take care of it? And I thought, well, here's this person that's known me longer than anybody else. And she says that this is what we're doing. Right. So it was really validating. And we kind of went on a journey. So, and that started with a um, AANE, actually. It was the first place that I called. Um, I was looking for a large national organization that could help me find out where to get diagnosed. And then you guys sent me to AHANY, which is um, eventually where I started my kind of advocacy journey. Right.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's um. Again, one of the things I I often find is even in a you know especially with adults who get diagnosed later on is the support that they have from either one person or friends or someone who says yeah let's let's go let's go on this journey. Um, and so I'm very happy that you had found A and E and that that was helpful in that process. Yep. Excellent. Um, And so now I know you you do so many different things and I know you talk about a lot of different topics. Um, And one of the things that I really wanted to get into today was um, to talk a little bit about self-defined living. And I know we had chatted about this a couple of years back, but um, I think you you may have been in the beginning process of thinking about um, this program but i just love that phrase self-defined living and I, lately i have been talking with people about creating your own path so that's sort of like my mm-hmm. phraseology with that um And then like asking the questions of like what kind of life do you want to lead and what does it look like going forward and even starting this you know during the transition process in high school right so that we can start building the skills needed to kind of move forth with that and so i know you recently like kind of launched some work around this so can you talk about
1: this please um but my work is really an extension of my life now and so um, I've really I have been working on this concept for a really long time, mostly because I've been walking through it. So the idea of self-defined living is that when you get a diagnosis late in life, like I did, um, you can't help but to look back through your life and, and kind of wonder all the times that autism was rearing its ugly head or um you just were being misunderstood because of the autism and you kind of do a life review like that. And, you know, after having done that, I was like, well, what opportunities does this diagnosis afford me? You know, what can I do with it? What can I do for myself with it? Um, And those weren't thoughts that I'd ever had about myself. I didn't think I um, was worth those things. I knew that I was so different from everyone else that what I would create would look so different. I was worried about judgment um, and all kinds of things. But with my diagnosis and the, the, self-information that I was getting from the diagnosis alone and learning to articulate my needs and and things like that um, and learning the vocabulary that came with autism, um, all of that stuff, um, I realized that it was an opportunity to really um, destroy my life, like break down my life and then rebuild it um, and use autism as the lens through which to rebuild it, right, to define it for myself because what I was noticing was that because... I was autistic my whole life and undiagnosed. Um, I had very indirectly learned that my own needs and wants and priorities um, were wrong. So generally, whatever autistics do as are in our nature is the stuff that gets corrected, right? Not making eye contact or odd social situations, those kind of things. Um, right. And so you learn over the course of those decades, right? I spent almost four decades like that. Um, and you learn not to trust yourself. Um, you know that whatever your instinct is, is probably wrong, so do the opposite, right? Um, and anything you may want is probably wrong, so what are other people saying you should you should want, right? Um, right. And, and those are the conversations you start to have. And so you, um, you begin to say things like, well, I'm supposed to be married by now. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to have a career by now. I'm supposed to have children by now, right? And there's all of this supposed to stuff. Um, and when I looked at it, None of those things were things that I actually wanted for myself. They were all things that other people had told me I should want.
0: Right. Um, so can we just pause there for a second? Yeah. Because my thinking, you know, as you say that, I think societally in general, right, I think we do that. We we kind of are always pinging ourselves against what people around us are doing. And I I, I find, though, that um, with like, you know, the people that I work with and parents, you know, we, we, we're trying to create this, like, well, no, we we need to meet these particular, you know, milestones, or we need to meet these particular things and the checkoff boxes. Right. And Uh I think we don't realize that in doing that, we're, we're sometimes creating more harm than good. Right. Because Uh we're making people kind of second-guessed himself. I'm going to use this term, like this whole gaslighting concept, right? Yes, it is though,
1: (laughs) right? I mean, it's totally because autistics fall for gaslighting like nobody else. We are gaslighting victims all over the place because we truly believe that whatever somebody else is saying is the truth and that they don't, there would never be an intention to lie because we don't lie. So it's like, you just don't think that. And that's what happens. Um, People who gaslight and like to change your reality around Right. Do that. And that's what, in a sense, is happening when autistics are being told to meet certain milestones. I mean, I think a really simple way to explain it, an example I usually give is I had a client a while back and he was very happy living independently, had a job, a great job that he went and got for himself. He had great, you know, he would have pension when he was finished, health insurance. I mean, great job. Right. Living on his own, can pay his rent. No problem. He's got no issues going on. But his parents are like you don't have any furniture in your house, right? Well, mm-hmm. like, oh, I have what I need. Mean. I have my bed and I have a desk and I have a table to eat at, right? Um, but when they looked at his apartment, it looked plain. He didn't have anything on the walls. He just had these basic necessities, and they wanted him to have more, right? But he didn't want more. He didn't need more, and all of their justifications for this extraneous furniture seemed absurd to him. I need a couch for when I have guests. Well, he doesn't like having people in his own space. So he rarely has guests. Like it was like a bizarro world conversation. Um, So they were creating out a problem out of a non-problem, right? Mm -hmm. They were making a problem um, instead of just respecting his needs and his wants for his own space. Right. right? So it's that idea, that autistics are stuck in. We usually, in that situation, would say, okay, I guess you're right. And we would go out and buy a couch and the proper chairs and a coffee table, yeah. and, right? And, and <laughs> to make everybody happy and to do the right thing, right? Yeah. Does yeah. that do anything for us as individuals? No, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't help us as humans to feel better about our quality of life. It's just something we had to do to make our parents happy. Right, Right. no? Those are the times when we're kind of not gaslighting, but we're programming people to to feel a certain way, right? And as autistics, we love rules and we love routines and we love being told that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, Mm -hmm. right? And so we fall for it all the time without ever questioning um, our thoughts in that process. Um, And so what I'm trying to do now and with self-defined living is to teach people to, redefine those things in your life, right, for yourself um, and to pause and question all of those things, right? If you're not happy and not feeling good about your life, spend the time to figure out where in your life that is, right? And is it something you can control? And of the things you can control, what do you want to do about it, right? And take some action, we don't have to sit there like victims or be inactive in our lives that way. We can define for ourselves, for example, my favorite one that I use all the time is success. I love mm-hmm. that one. People want you to be a success. You want success, 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 right? But it's not a <laughs> tangible thing, success. Right. You can't to the dorm by success, right? So you have to kind of define what success is in order to achieve it. The problem that autistics face is that we're constantly chasing. This success that isn't our version of success, right? We're trying to chase this perfect life that people have imagined for us, where we're, we have a partner, we have a home that we own, we have um, keep it clean, we have a good job, right? We have children, right. all of those things. Um, and I'm somebody who hasn't wanted kids ever, mm-hmm. right? And I've spent my entire life justifying to people why I don't want children because right. it's just not okay for me to make that choice, right? <laughs> and it's just such a bizarre thing, right? And people feel they can tell you about it too. I mean, I've been said to my face that I'm wasting my uterus, wasting a <laughs> perfectly good uterus is what I was told, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> and who, are, you know, who are these people to, to yeah. come into your life and make those judgments? But when you're autistic, they feel like they can, right? They want to be as quote-unquote normal, as possible, whatever that means. Whatever that is, right, for sure. Right. And so that you're chasing this normal, you're chasing success, you're chasing all these predefined things. Um, and as autistics, it takes us so many spoons just to chase those things. We don't have any extra to think about whether we should be chasing them or not. Right. <laughs> That's true. That's very and true. So it's, we need to pause. We need to stop and say, hold on, I'm an adult. I have control over a certain set of things in my life. It's not everything. I don't have control about my circumstances, how I ended up in them. But I do have control over how I change my circumstances. And Mm -hmm. if I change my circumstances, right, Right. that's in my control. So um, what I tell people through self-defined living is you need to go through your life and find those trigger words. Where are the supposed to's and the should be's hiding in your life? And question them. Where did they come from? Is that really how you feel about these things, right? Does that stuff, uh, you know, fall in alignment with who you want to be as a person? And if not, why are you wasting your one non-renewable resource doing something other than, right? So like you have a very limited amount of time. It's not that it's not a lot of time. It's just that it has an end, right? We all have a limit, whatever that unknown limit is. Um, And the idea that you should waste any of your very valuable spoons chasing somebody else's dream in that limited amount of time is crazy, right? It's your one life. And on top of it, if you're chasing somebody else's dream, chances are you're never going to be happy with it and you'll probably never, ever really get there. But you don't want it. You don't want it in the way that you want the things that you know you need, right? You're chasing it for somebody else. Right. So
0: the success then becomes not really, it's not your success. It doesn't feel to
1: you like the way you think success should feel, right? Right. Shouldn't I feel so good now? I I succeeded at the thing. I did those things, right? Right. I did the things. I did my to-do list. Where's my party? Right.
0: Right. And then it falls flat. I've heard that often is, yep. you know, I, I've, I I thought when I did this thing that mm-hmm. it was going to feel so good and that I was going to feel accomplished, but it fell flat and I don't have any uh, emotion behind it or it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like. I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And it could be because it's, it's because it's not really yours, right? It's what you're trying to measure against what someone else told you was success or what, Mm. you know, how you should feel when you attain, you know, the checkoff box thing. Um, Wow. Yeah, no. And so with your, I know you just recently launched your program called Self-Defined Living. How does that program
1: work? Um, well, I'm excited about it. So I've been slowly working on it behind the scenes because um, we all have to pay bills. So, always the <laughs> things that make payment come first. And this was like my little side project. Um, and then, boom, COVID, and mm. I'm stuck home and I have lots of free time. Right. And I thought, well, I'm going to pull it forward. I'm going to do it, I'm going to bring it forward. And it's perfect because I have built it um, in a way that is designed for the autism community. Um, and for so many of us, our world is in our computer. Our world is online. Our friends are there. Our community is there. Um, it's a lot less sensory stressful to do things from your computer. And for any number of reasons, autistics love doing things on our computer. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I built a virtual course. Um, so the entire course can be done online. Um, and it's, I've broken it up into three units. Uh, right now, I am releasing one unit at a time with a live recording of that unit. Um, And then once all three are recorded, they'll all be available at the same time. We've done unit one. So that replay is now available. um, And unit two is coming up on August 5th. um, And that will be then followed by unit three uh, in early September. And then we will have done all three units. And basically what I did was, um, since I went on this journey, you know, I I was kind of like, learning about myself and how to articulate my needs in therapy early on. And then my therapist introduced me to mindfulness and I started to play in that world. Um, And I started to learn that what the piece that I was trying to work on was called personal development. That is what it was called. Um, And it used to be called self-help. We used to have the self-help section of the bookstore. Um, And now it's called personal development, which I like better because the idea of it is not that you just need immediate help. But the idea is that you're growing and evolving as a person, right? You're developing as a person. And it is a very personal journey. Most of it is happening inside and nobody else will ever even know that you're doing it, right? Right. Um, So I love that description. So essentially what self-defined living is, is a three-unit virtual course on personal development for autistic adults. Um, So I took basically like The Secret, I took You Are a Badass, Mm -hmm. I'm Sincero. Um, and I read Magic, and I read The Four Agreements, right? In my journey, I was looking for all of those things, so I read all of those books.
0: Those are such awesome amazing books, are. too, Jumai, I but, add. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? And yeah. um, I just I noticed there were patterns, because I'm an autistic person, and we see patterns. And so I was finding these patterns of information, and everybody was describing it differently, but they were all saying the same thing right? And Mm -hmm. so what I did was to develop self-defined living. I took all of those same things and I designed them to work for the autistic mind, to work for our brains, to work in a way that we can digest them and put them to use in our lives. So it's not like I invented the wheel or anything like that. Um, I went out and I read everybody else's books and I just said, well, this works for me and it makes sense to me, but mm, this I don't buy so much. And this one, yes. And this one, no. Right? Mm -hmm. And I... Really, what self-defined living is is just um, a window into the parts of those things that work, and how to use them in your life. How to how to do that. So I started with um, stepping forward because the first piece of it all is stepping forward and saying yes, I am taking action. I am ready to do personal development, right, and committing yourself to that purpose. Saying I'm worth it. I have enough value that developing myself and making some spiritual growth, some personal growth, some self-love happening in there, right? I'm ready to commit myself to that. I deserve it, right? Right. Um, And that's all that unit one was about. What it means to step forward, how you do that. If you do it well, what that can impact, that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Unit two coming up, which I'm excited about, is called Fortify Your Focus. It's the things that you do and plant in your life to keep you focused on the goal that you have set for yourself. Right. Um, and the very last piece, which is unit three, is the act of thriving. What does it look like when you're actively thriving? How do you keep that up? So you've made that change or you made these changes in your life. How do you maintain them? Right. How do you know when it's time to go through the process all over again? That kind of thing. Um, and so we'll be closing up with that. And I think um, everyone's really liking it. We're, we're doing, I'm doing the presentation like any other webinar right? So it's an hour presentation of a webinar with PowerPoint, the whole deal. Um, because I'm doing it live, also following with a 30-minute Q&A, AMA kind of situation.
0: Nice. Um,
1: and so that's all being done through, through a webinar program. And then everybody's getting um, three downloadable exercises, the companion exercises that go with the, each, uh, each unit. And those are three downloadable exercises. Then we do one group coaching call for each unit, Um, that one I've got scheduled for unit one, I'm excited for that one. Um, and then everybody's getting, um, access to me as a mentor. You can make appointments with me as a member of each unit. Um, and I'm doing that for a reduced cost if you're registered for the class. Um, and that's kind of the basic thing. I do have multiple unit packages. So if you buy more than one unit at a time, it's a discounted rate and you also get some extras. That's kind of what's going on.
0: I did see that. So I, I looked at your uh your programming there and it looks really uh you know, robust and a lot of information there that, um, and a lot of access, which I think a lot of people appreciate and, you know, many people need. Um, and I really like that last unit there of, okay, so how do I keep the momentum going? Right. Because sometimes it's, it, it's hard enough to set goals and then kind of continue how I'm going to meet them. But then it's that, you know, continued, um, progress, right. And then refinement and doing and refining and doing it again, uh, and, and recognizing that that's always going to be there right there's always going to be this let's let's adapt and let's like you know change where we need to and that kind of stuff um, so it's I think that's a great way to kind of keep the momentum going I suppose yeah
1: absolutely and you need that right because yeah I, I mean I talk about it and you don't want it even I talk about how you know life is a cycle and you're constantly going through a cycle, right? So you're going to have unhappiness and you are going to have failures and you're going to have mistakes, right? But um, as someone who loves philosophy to death, I know that I can't have those things. Um, I can't have even happiness and I can't have success and I can't have pleasure, right? Unless I have their opposites, right? You can't experience the good, Without the bad, you need the bad to compare it to. Otherwise, it would just be regular if it was all the time, right? There would not be nothing special about it. So right. you need those bad experiences as part of your cycle. And if you just go into whatever you're doing, knowing that there will be mistakes and failures, right? Not ever imagining that it will go right the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of are like, okay, you welcome those. You, you have to learn to welcome your mistakes because there's a lesson in each one of them. Right. and so instead of looking at your mistake as like this horrible failure it's like oh what opportunity lies in this error right what can i learn to not do again right um, well it
0: reinforces that uh, you know self development right that professional mm-hmm. development we would call or personal growth you know all of those yeah. things it is part of the information that you need in order to make that kind of progress i think
1: Right. And as you hope, right, as a person that you will be evolving and changing for the rest of your life. Right. I never want to be stagnant. I never want to yeah. be boring. I always want to be learning new things. And so as I change and go through my life, my needs and wants and priorities are also going to change, which means every couple of years I got to look at it all again. And I got to <laughs> say, am I happy or am I now just stuck in a rut of habit? Right. Right. It's That's sort of like way of like serving me. Do I need to make some new changes now that X, Y, Z has changed?
0: Exactly. Like when you work in, you know, in a corporate environment or even in other environments, there's always the, um, you know, the year review, right? Where they, you know, Mm -hmm. ideally if it's done well, it's like, hey, let's look at the things you've accomplished. Let's look at the things you need to work on and how do we do that? And then you build in, right, during the year Mm -hmm. how to work on those and then you refine it again and you start again. Um, So it's just doing this sort of on your own, which I think makes total... Makes total sense, yeah. Well, and
1: it's really, you know, in our world today, right now, as it sits, um, there just isn't that much out there for autistic adults in terms of support and services. And it's not like what is out there is necessarily covered by insurance, right? So the only way that we're going to get supports and services is if we wait for research to catch up for us, and then we can fight for supports and services and funding for that. Or we can take control of what we can take control of, which is our own lives, and we can do that now, right? It was always very frustrating to me to get a diagnosis and be like, and then now what was always so empty, right? Yeah. It's not that when I got a diagnosis, they didn't try to give me information. It just doesn't exist, right? There weren't necessarily um, places to send me. We don't necessarily right. have a gazillion professionals who specialize in adults on the spectrum, right? We, yeah. it, it's a really, um, we're finally catching up with the transition age kids right but those kids that set off that alarm are now in adulthood
0: exactly exactly and And even still these transition plans are still in development right we're we're just in the last couple years starting to create them and refine them and it's all new really
1: right and in the meantime i'm 44 I'm not getting any younger. It's just going the time, right? And where do I have to look for information on aging on the spectrum, on um, living a quality adult life on the spectrum, what that's like? And I remember distinctly when I got diagnosed eight years ago, we had lots of memoirs out where I could read um, the other experiences of other autistic adults, but there were no what now? Like, you've been diagnosed with autism. Now what? That book didn't exist. Right, everyone wrote their story up till their diagnosis, and that's where the memoirs ended. And I was desperately in need of a what now? What do I do with it? And so I've just been creating them because I don't want someone else to have that experience. I want to give them a what now? Um, right. And I'm also, you know, and it's frustrating to do this work for such a long time and to still be saying there's no adult support services, right? Still right. Be repeating that, and I just. Got You know, some of it comes from frustration of being fed up. Like, well, if nobody's going to help my people, I'm going to help my people. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I won't be able to see it. Like, well, what qualifies you to, to do this course? Well, I'll tell you what, if you can come up with somebody who's doing something similar and better, by all means, I'll share their information. But it's not out there. So why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't it be me?
0: Well, it's also a personal experience, right? You've, you've lived it. That's what qualifies you. And you've experienced what is out there and what isn't out there, which is more the
1: case, what's not
0: out there and what's not available. Uh, and I so, really just,
1: I want my peers, my colleagues, and, you know, all their autistics all the time. I want them to understand that they have value, right? Yeah. And this idea that you don't deserve or you, you haven't earned a quality of life according to your standards, according to autistic standards, right? That's the other thing we're missing is that we don't have a quality of life measure by autistic standard. Even when we talk about quality of life, we're holding autistic people to neurotypical standards of what they consider to be a quality life, right? right? There's nowhere in the, you know, in the, the QOL information, quality of life information, where it talks about how much time you get to spend with your special interests, Nobody ever asks us that. But I'll tell you what, special interests are a source of joy for autistics. They're a source of relaxation for autistics. They're something we need, not something that we just want, right? And an incredibly important part of our quality of life. Right. Right. So and that, that, that wouldn't be condition. something. I, I am out looking to create quality of life measures.
0: Right. And that, and that wouldn't be something that in, in a typical program or book that someone would focus on as you know a measure or something to look at to use as hey how does this work for me and how can I incorporate it into my life and build it in so that you know I'm I'm living the success the way that I want to live it which is different it's a different approach it totally makes sense it is and
1: it's it just it works right and it's right I don't think that what people are going to see from all of these people taking my course is a bunch of autistics, just willy nilly, you know, doing crazy things. Um, I think the changes that we're going to see are not actually going to be visible to us. Um, A lot of it is internal understanding, getting rid of the internalized ableism, getting rid of um, whatever, you know, obstacles, autistics have learned to use as an excuse along the way, right? Mm-hmm. So that we don't have to do the hard stuff. All of those things. It's changing your, the self-talk in your head from negative to positive, making sure it's your words and not somebody else's in your head. Um, and, and so the people around them aren't going to see these big, huge changes, right? Or at least not quickly. Um, you know, something like moving where you live because your environment is bad or um, selling your house so you can live in an apartment because you can't keep up with it anymore, whatever that, those things take time, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen instantly. But I think what you'll see is autistics really um, making an effort to actively make those changes in their lives rather than um, sitting back and feeling like there's nothing they can do about it. Um, And having the confidence in themselves to know that they deserve that, that they deserve better than they don't have to accept what they got, right? They can work towards more. Um, uh, there's a habit, a, a cycle, I think, in autistics, especially those of us who get diagnosed late in life, um, where we create a burnout cycle for ourselves. Mm. Uh, we, we do this thing, right? You're supposed to have a good job. Just, just follow the train of thought. Right? You're supposed to have a good job. Okay, what's a good job? Well, you need to have it full time and it has to come with insurance of all kinds. Um, you'd love vacation, right? All of these regular things that come with a good job, right? So now you're in search for that job. Well, that job looks a certain way. It's 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, going to an office and reporting in at your office and doing your job and all of that stuff, right? It's, it's got a very particular look to it. Um, and when autistics do that, um, we do that with a lot of effort. Right? It doesn't yes. come easily to us. Yes. Um, 40 hours a week of masking in a job is it's exhausting. exhausting. Yeah. Come your weekend, let me tell you, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to leave your house. You just want to watch TV, not shower, lay around in your pajamas. And if you're lucky, remember to eat and pee. Right? <laughs> that's all you want from that weekend. Which means that a couple of things happen. Either that means that you then double up your efforts during the week, so you do your chores and your work during the week, so you don't have to do anything on the weekend, or you give up your weekend to your chores, right? And then you're more tired when you go back to the 40 hours, right? Um, And what you never have time for, what's never included in that whole plan, is joy Mm -hmm. or pleasure or fun, right? Mm -hmm. None of the things that keep us in a mentally healthy place, right? All of those things have become unimportant. They're just gone. Forget that, right? We're not even doing those things. It's not not even nominal. What we're trying to do is to white knuckle survive. So it looks like this. You get up on Monday, you do nine to five, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, crawl into bed on Friday, make it through your weekend and do it all again on Monday. No socializing, no dating, no anything else, right? We're barely hanging on. And I call that, the white knuckle survival cycle, right? That's all we want to do is try to do that for as long as we can. But what eventually happens is over a period of time, and as a person, that can be a few months for you, or it could be a few years or a decade, right, when you hit your limit. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can't sustain that. You can't sustain that lifestyle. It's not sustainable. And for those of us that push ourselves to sustain it, we usually end up in a burnout. And a burnout will just stop your life. It just, it's a big old stop sign. That's it. you climb into bed, you can't do anything else. Forget even taking care of yourself and resting properly. You can't even do that.
0: Right. Um, well, the body has decided that it's done.
1: Yeah. It's done. The body is done and the brain was done before the body. <laughs> right. So, okay, like that's how, the state that you're physically in. Right. And what you want to do is avoid that. Well, the only way to avoid that is to take away the pressure from yourself to have Nine to five jobs, right? Maybe you work four days a week instead of five. Maybe you work 10 to three, maybe, right? Something, right. right? But then a world has to, com- has to kind of accommodate for that. Maybe you do remote work. Mm-hmm. Oh, the world doesn't want to accommodate that, not unless there's a pandemic, <laughs> right? So there were a lot of obstacles to creating a life other than that. Um, but a life like that is just not sustainable. And everybody wonders why autistics are so grumpy or we don't talk all the time or we're, you know, whatever. We say like one word here or there. We're tired. It's exhausting, right? Right. And sometimes we're at a thing talking to you where we don't want to be, yeah, right? Because we're tired. So how do we stop that cycle? How do we get ourselves out of that work, 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 burnout, work, 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 burnout cycle? Well, we need to infuse joy, we need to enjoy and use pleasure. We need to respect our special interests. We need to take care of our sensory needs. Those are all part of autistic quality of life. All of those things. We need safe spaces where we can be freely autistic and we don't have to mask at all. We need as much of that as possible, as much as you can create in your life, right? Right. Um, and, and so there's all of these things that are part of that quality of life that just fall to the side. And so, yes, you're surviving, yes, when other people look at you, you look like a successful adult. But you're really not thriving, right? right? You're just getting on through and that's what life is, right? Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be that. And it really doesn't have to be that now, right? right? Remote work has now been fully accepted, but even before that, working from home was a big deal. Technology makes it near impossible for someone to justify working in an office. <laughs> yes, right? and I so, agree. Really, the world is like, and on top of it, thanks to millennials, the gig economy is where it's at. People are no longer doing that nine to five at an office in a majority. The majority now is doing lots of little gig jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the world is ripe and ready for us to create the life that we're comfortable in instead of the life everybody's telling us that we have to have. Right. Um, I mean, this for us now.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think we're in that place and and everything. um, You're just so inspiring. And this is really just really exciting because I I think that like this program and programs like this, if we can find more and develop more and create more, um, can really be a source of hope for a lot of people. And like, oh, wait, I didn't. I never thought of it that way. I never thought no. that I could do that, but you're right. We, we have the technology, we have the resources, people are more receptive to, to it. And yes, maybe it took a pandemic right. to kind of have people see that. Um, but, and, and again, I, I think it's uh, you know, the reason why I started podcasting was because of COVID too. It was like, wait, right. all these other work I was supposed to do got pushed to the side. So what do I do now and how do I change it up? And yeah, I think just taking advantage of where we're at right now, um, you know, using technology, using online resources like that would be, you know, is I think is awesome. And I think you've given me a lot of different um, strategies. Because one of the things I like to ask uh, guests is, um, what one strategy would you tell your, you know, to, to, other people listening to like, Hey, what's one tool that I could use? I know you've given several, but what, what's like the one thing that you would say has helped you or you think help other people?
1: The one that is my favorite. Um, and that I think the world needs, like, this, the whole crazy thing. I know that I built this course for autistic adults but if anybody else sat in it because we're humans autistics are just other humans right Right. there's information in there for everybody right there's a reason that the secret is not a secret anymore right (laughs) everybody's wanted in on it all the humans that wanted better lives wanted in on it and all i've done is create that for autistics but it's totally viable for anybody else anybody can use these um it's like um, how when we say oftentimes whatever is good for an autistic is usually good for everybody else, right? Yep, we all yep. find that we think better when the lights are lower and all kinds of things, right? And this is just another occasion of that. Um, but what I, I, the tool that I talk the most about, I think, in the beginning and the one that I think is overall most useful, I call practice the pause. So um, what it is is that um, as autistics, it often takes us more time to process. Mm-hmm. Kind of come up with an answer, right? We really need to think about things. We like to think out our options first before we have an answer. Um, but society doesn't really allow for that. We don't like that, right? Um, when another person, especially if it's a neurotypical person to an autistic person, um, asks us a question or if we want to do something, there's this unspoken certain amount of time that you have to answer within. Before people are like, hello, did you hear me? Right. Right. And so um, what that does is it makes us anxious as autistic. So we want to be able to process our answers, but we know we have to answer in a certain amount of time. And rather than make a social foul, we'll just give an answer, right, to get it back to you real fast. Um, what happens is that you, you, if that's your mentality, um, your best answer is no because yep. it's safe right? You're not going to say yes to something you can't do, don't want to do, wouldn't enjoy, right? And so the safe answer is no. And so what I find is that a lot of people be like, well, my autistic child says no to everything. He doesn't want to do anything, right? (laughs) That's where it's coming from. It's like no is safe. And yes is, I don't know, Ma, you might take me and do some crazy thing, right? (laughs) And so we get into this habit of saying no. But what that does is it also eliminates the possibility for us to try something new that we might actually like sure right and so without you know really wanting to we eliminate those choices so another one that I talk about too is starting to say yes to more things but that's not the one I want to start with that's the practice the pause you have the right and privilege and need and desire and my permission to take the time you need to answer a question that space that you feel you need to give a response in you don't have to give your actual response to that question. You can practice a pause. So you take your time and you say, "You know what? I'm not really sure I need some time to think about that. Can I get back to you later?" Right. Instead of saying no," if you can pop that into space in there, right you buy yourself time to really yep. think about it to pause, to decide, to look at your schedule, whatever the things are that concern you. Like it worries me um, when I go to places, whether or not I will find food that I am comfortable eating. Mm
0: -hmm. So oftentimes
1: if I won't and I don't feel comfortable bringing something to eat, I'll say no to something, right? Um, And so I deserve the right to think through that thing. And decide for myself whether it's something I want to say yes or no to. So I'm going to buy myself the time. I'm not going to (laughs) waste energy trying to change your social rules. That's not worth it. I'm going (laughs) to buy myself the time, right? Right. I don't know. I'm not sure. Great question. Let me think about that. Any number of responses um, that is not um, you answering the actual question. That just buys you the time to practice the pause, right? Yeah totally um, makes sense that's yeah. habit you have to create you have to recreate that because we're now in the habit of feeling the need to answer all the time right mm, so practicing that pause it. yeah practice the pause when you answer emails practice the pause when somebody calls you <laughs> practice the I mean we're all over the place right? <laughs> right you deserve your time don't don't feel that obligation that's the habit we want to correct is that obligation to be available so easily and all the time and answer things right away um, everybody just wants it to be an instant gratification world. And we all are trying to do that for each other. But it's not healthy. We need to unprogram yeah. that. agree you know?
0: Very much agree. So that's I like my that.
1: One is practice the pause. Take the time that you need. Allow yeah. yourself that. And even yeah. if you and have again. to like, you're like, you know what? I'll answer you. I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Whatever <laughs> it is, <laughs> buy yourself yeah.
0: the time. And again, like you said, that strategy is good for everyone. Really,
1: yeah, <laughs> it is good for everyone. How many times have you just been like, "I'm gonna say no because I don't have time to think about it right now,"
0: <laughs> right? Or I'm just gonna say yes because oh, I don't want people to pester to me. You. Oh, yeah, yeah. And- or disappoint them. Exactly. Yep. Yep. For sure. So I, that's great. Right. And so I know you know this. This program's great. I know. I think we should probably chat again at some point in the future because I think this I is. This is awesome. Um, but where can people find you? Because you have so many other things to offer. Uh, where can they get more information?
1: Um, I, everything that I do is on my website. I keep it there for myself so I have easy access to it. And therefore, it's there for you. Um, so at Lory, and it's L-O-R-Y dot com. Um, On my website, you can find everything, all my social media, you can sign up for my newsletter, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, um, you can read my writing, and of course, you can find out information about self-defined living in the course. That's on there too. Um, The other thing I just want to mention before we go um, is that the thing that I'm doing to um, make this course a, a true thing that is really available to autistic adults is to understand that most of us are suffering with financial hardship. Um, not only are we dealing with COVID unemployment, right? Before COVID, we already had an 85%. Right. Um, so there are a lot of autistics who would like to make their lives better, but they can't afford to. Um, and so what I've done is a couple of things. I, first of all, I priced it, I think at a, at a good price, but I've also broken it up into the units, so you can buy them as you can afford them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to buy them all together at once. Um, And the other thing that I've had the real pleasure of doing is creating scholarship seats for the units. Um, So each unit I'm looking for sponsors to sponsor scholarship seats to the course for folks that are suffering from financial hardship or unemployment, right? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's really great. uh, Unit one, I had so many great sponsors. I was able to give away 20 seats the course. Oh, excellent. That's um, really so great. That great. So if you may be interested in being a sponsor or you know someone that is interested in being a sponsor, again, on my website, there's a sponsors tab. You could read about my current sponsors and all the different sponsorship options that I have available. Um, and in turn, if you're listening and you are interested in the course, but you need a scholarship seat, feel free to email me at info at and let me know of your need. Um, The way that I'm handling them is I'm keeping a list of people interested. And then as the the sponsors come in and I get the scholarship seats, I'm giving them out on a rolling basis. So first come, first serve and on a rolling basis. As I get them, I'm giving them away.
0: That's great. And I will definitely be checking that out. So thank you so much. This is great.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be
0: able to talk with you. It's exciting. And congratulations year. on podcasting. Thank you. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> it's a
1: good time. It is. It's really fun.
0: It is. All right. Well, we will definitely chat again. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. Also, if you join our email list at thespectrumstrategy.com, You can get a code to attend one of my online courses for free. See you next time.